Guys, welcome to the show. I'm excited to bring this episode to you. This is going to be episode number 598. Can you believe it? We're almost to 600 episodes. This is actually going back to 2015, and I did a, a podcast interview with Steve Chappell, a good friend of mine, and we really dive into uh, elk calling. I've been getting a lot of direct messages on my Instagram lately about uh, guys wanting to get a bunch of calling elk episodes, so I thought I would bring some of the really good ones back as well as doing some new ones. So I want to thank Steve for coming on my podcast. I also want to thank you guys, the listeners, for the support that I get uh, for the podcast. The download numbers are just mind-boggling. I can't even believe almost you know 28 million downloads since I started. It's just crazy. Um, it just goes to show how loyal you guys are, and I really appreciate that. Uh, before we get into the episode, uh, I'd like to take a second here. If you guys listen to the podcast on a regular basis and you don't subscribe, uh, please hit the subscribe button. That helps me. That helps our placement on iTunes, uh, and it gives us a good indication of exactly how many people are listening. So if you've been listening for a long time, you're not subscribed, just hit subscribe. Uh, it doesn't cost anything. They'll automatically be waiting for you on your phone, and I really appreciate that. I also would ask you, and I hate to ask you guys anything, but if you do listen to the podcast, would you please go on iTunes and leave us a rating and leave us a review? Whether it be good, bad, or ugly, uh, please leave a review. Uh, that means a lot. Uh, that also helps our placement on iTunes, and I just appreciate all of that. I also want to thank the sponsors and thank you guys. I get feedback from my sponsors every day of how much support you guys give them. I want to thank Go Hunt Insider. Uh, right now, there's a 30-day free trial going on. It's the best Western hunting resource out there. Uh, when you're talking about draw odds, harvest statistics, data, strategy articles, it's just an unbelievable resource. Plus, they have uh, giveaways every single month. All you have to do is be an Insider member, and you're going to be a ch have a chance to be in the drawing. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash J Scott. Also, want to thank the Go Hunt Gear Shop. Cody Nelson, my friend of 20 plus years, is the optics manager there. If you guys have any glassing questions, any optical needs at all, if you're looking at wanting to buy a new set of binoculars, spotting scopes, tripods, rifle scopes, anything to do with optics, give Cody a call at 702 847 8747. You can also send him that, that phone number. We'll reach him directly. He'll call you right back if he's on the other line. Leave him a message. Uh, you can also send an email to optics at gohunt.com, and that will go directly to Cody's inbox. And make sure you mention the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, because if you do, you're going to be entered into a drawing. The month of August, they're giving away a $1,000 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card. All you have to do is purchase something from the Go Hunt Gear Shop, uh, uh, from the Go Hunt Gear Shop. And if you spend $36, you get 36 entries. If you spend $5,200, you get 5,200 5, entries. So it's dollar for dollar entry. Uh, you can buy on the website. You can use the JSO promo code. Uh, or you can call Cody and just tell him J. Scott sent you. And you're going to automatically be entered into the drawing. We've already contacted two... Uh, winners in June and July with the $1,000 uh, gear shop gift card, and they were ecstatic. So I want to thank uh, Go Hunt for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's K-U-I-U, -I -U, K 
kuyu.com, K-U-I-U.com. Uh, it's the best ultralight hunting gear on the market today. It's the gear that I wear on all my hunts. I've been wearing uh, since they started. And I uh, just really support that company and appreciate all of the great work that they do. Uh, also, phonescope.com. Use the jscott19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. And then last but not least, onxmaps.com. Use the jscott19 promo code. And you're going to get a 20% discount and that is for the Onyx Maps uh, app for your phone. And it's an incredible app. You can get one state or 50 states. And it's an incredible tool. I use it every day hunting and fishing. Uh, it sh- you know, shows private versus public uh, ground. It shows If it's private, it shows who owns it. Uh, you can switch between aerial, hybrid, and satellite view. Excuse me, and topo view. It has a breadcrumb feature. Just Onyx Maps is just a phenomenal app. I don't even use a GPS anymore. Um, go to go to onyxmaps.com. Use the jscott19 promo code and save 20%. All right, guys, uh, enough of jibber jabber. Let's get right to the podcast, and we're you know right on the uh, cusp, I guess, of elk season kicking off all across the West, and it's going to be another phenomenal year. Uh, Southwest has gotten some major storms uh, in the winter, and antler growth is looking phenomenal. So uh, if you would like to correspond with me, if you'd like to send me a message, if you have a question, uh, you can do it on my Instagram, at jscottoutdoors. Uh, I appreciate you guys following there. You can also send me an email at, excuse me, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. All right, guys, let's get to it. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a very special show. We actually have a great friend of mine, Steve Chapel of Chapel Guide Service. And uh, I've known Steve a long time. I think it probably goes back to the late 90s. And uh, I first met Steve on an elk hunt. His dad had an elk hunt in Arizona. And uh, Steve has become one of the best uh, elk uh, outfitting and guide services in Arizona and uh, we've been friends a long time. He's a fantastic elk caller. Uh, he's a fantastic hunter, and uh, he's a great family man. has a, has a lovely wife, Barb, and two, two beautiful girls. And I've known Steve a long time, and he's just—I consider him a great friend. The listeners are really in for a treat today because Steve really knows what he's talking about when it comes to elk hunting and uh, I'm going to be able to bend his ear a little bit today and see if I can draw some of that knowledge and some of that experience out of him. We're going to talk about elk hunting and we're going to talk about a lot of topics. So Steve, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Jay. I'm excited to be with you today. Yeah, this will be fun. Um, Steve, how did you get your start in hunting? You know, I grew up in uh, very rural Colorado, out in the country, lived out on a dirt road, and uh, man, from the time I was five or six years old, my dad and my granddad were hunters, and so I was always tagging along with them. I can remember, it was probably five or six years old when I tagged along with my dad on his first mule deer hunt, and I, I mean, it was just addicting from the very beginning, you know, getting up early in the morning, 
just the just the smells of the trees and you know just the sights and 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 the, and the sun coming up in the morning, just everything about it, I just was immediately hooked. Uh, and you know how that how that is when you're a little kid like that, and you you feel really fortunate and blessed that your dad includes you because you're tagging along, probably making ninety percent of the noise and the movement, you know, doing your best to mess up the hunt, but your dad still comes through and and gets a gets a great deer, and uh, you know, then just walking up to a big buck with your dad and you know how the, the touching the antlers and just how the animal smells it's just you know it was just all amazing from the very beginning yeah and i mean uh i know your dad well and he's a fantastic hunter he's a houndsman and he's just a real savvy guy and you know he's just a real true woodsman and i'm sure growing up as a kid getting to learn from him was a real treat I mean because he's one of these guys that does it right and uh, you know very knowledgeable quiet you know quiet and yes. humble but but really really knows what he's doing you know type of guy when he speaks people listen and uh, I'm sure that was a real treat uh, getting to really watch how how it's done oh yeah absolutely I would say my dad was definitely my best teacher in life and, and in hunting um, you know, you and I actually met for the first time there on my dad's hunt, which was, by the way, in 1995. So you can believe that's been 20 years ago. Uh, that's unbelievable. So, that makes you and I fairly old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you and I really have kind of uh, grown up together in elk hunting because I feel like I was still really a pretty green elk hunter and elk caller at that time. And I'll be honest, that's where I really, really got the bug, Jay, for elk. That's when elk just became my absolute favorite animal. And I've almost gotten to where it's it's, it's really ridiculous that elk is about all that matters to me anymore. Um, it, it was kind of that one trip where I decided that I've got to be a part of this every single year. Uh, you know, even if it's not me personally hunting, that I would rather be sharing the woods with people that have a great tag you know, like we have in Arizona with the great elk we have there, um, you know, versus me chasing small elk in an in a over-the-counter state like maybe Colorado or somewhere like that. Um, I, yeah, I just decided that year that I had to be a part of that, that type of elk hunting every year. That's amazing that it was 1995. I specifically remember uh, you and your dad and, and meeting you, and I, I want to say that you even had a hat on that said elk alcoholic um or some maybe a shirt or something and i thought man this guy i i gotta i gotta meet this guy and uh if i remember correctly and you the details are a little fuzzy but it seemed like you were using maybe a carlton or maybe a double read and i had just gotten some uh new primos uh palette plates i believe and i think I've got to be honest, I think I even remember like getting one like that I had already used because I didn't have any new ones. And you're like, what is that call? Yep. And and you popped it in your mouth and were immediately, you know, ripping yes. and making some great sounds. Uh, <laughs> remember that? that, yeah. that was, oh, totally. I don't, I don't know that I was making good sounds right off the bat. You're way too kind there. But I, I did. I actually had a Loman diaphragm call Loman, which okay I okay i don't even know if they're around anymore maybe they are um but yes you're exactly right you you gave me a black primo sentry palette plate call and and absolutely the first time i popped it in my mouth i could tell right away a difference in that call 
versus just the standard diaphragms that did not have that palate plate incorporated into the call. And uh, yeah, so I mean, you're, you're the one that introduced me to that palate plate. Well, I, I, I certainly didn't bring the story up to, to make it sound like I introduced you to calling because you were, you were already very well established uh, when I met you. But uh, what do you think it is, Steve, about that style of call compared to the older style of call or maybe the traditional style that's just the horseshoe without any sort of plate or anything? What do you think it is? that has really caught on and and for you it was a game changer right off the bat why why is that do you think um i think there's a couple of reasons um first off that really just helps with positioning the call at the right angle in the top of your mouth there's no guesswork with getting it right um and i think because it, it you got have a solid anchor there and a solid starting point um, you just get more consistent tones right off the bat. Another thing with those palette plate calls that I've noticed is that the frame width is narrower. Now the tape width can be the same, but the frame width is narrower, which in, in my opinion and experience makes a call easier to blow and requires less air pressure overall. And that way you can not only blow loud sounds, but I, I think more sensitive, subtle sounds are as important, if not more important, and I think that's where those palette plate calls just really shine. Yeah, absolutely. And then Steve, th through it all, and 20 years later, you now, uh, for years, have had your own signature series calls with the uh, with the diaphragms and with the different external calls. Um, can you go in a little bit on how that? Uh, transition took place and how, how all of that came came to be oh absolutely yeah like we talked about I just immediately saw in the beginning that that palette plate was was definitely a cut above I think it's probably one of the most if not the most um, extraordinary ideas that's come to elk calling you know in the last 40 years or however long elk calls have been along um, because it's lasted, it's not been a flash in the pan type of thing. Um, Rocky Jacobson, by the way, was the guy who originally invented the palette plate. Um, you know, and we we know, of course, the Primos, um, you know, got a lo lot of notoriety from those calls. Uh, Rocky still manufactures those. Um, I was able to meet Rocky actually through a good friend of ours, Corey, who happens to be Rocky's son, and he introduced me to his dad. And, and Rocky and I got to talking about elk calls and elk calling, and I had some ideas. I actually had a prototype for, a, for an open read call that I showed to him, and, and that's kind of how it all got started. Um, I, I think you and I both are pretty um, opinionated as far as tone quality and just how we want a call to sound. I, I, I think that's right in knowing you for about 20 years that, that yeah. we both have pretty strong ideas on how, what we think a call should sound like. And, and so, I, you know, I brought some of those ideas to Rocky and, uh, you know, he, he took those back to the factory and uh, went to work on it. And, you know, we he, he mailed calls back and forth to me, di different prototypes back and forth. And um, I just really feel like, you know, really nailed it right on the head as far as we've got three mouth diaphragms um, that, that are my signature series mouth diaphragms. Uh, there's one that's called the Estrus Excited Reed. It's an orange colored reed. Then we have another one that's called the Closer. It's a, it's a red tape diaphragm that's kind of a 
hybrid uh, double read call. It's not a full double read. It's got one single read and then a, then a cut read on the second read. And then we also have a blue read that's called the challenge call. It's a little more sensitive and a little higher pitched than the other two calls. So they each kind of have their purpose and specialty. And I think, you know, everybody's going to kind of have their preference just based on how they blow a call and, and how they want to call the sound. Um, but, but for me, they work really well. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the, the first call that I showed to Rocky was a prototype that we actually ended up with the Matriarch, uh, which is an open read call. Um, it's got a Mylar read, you know, similar to like the Primo's Hyperlip Single or the, or the Carlton Estrus Wine. It's similar to that. The difference is, is that it has a wood barrel. And for, I would say, about a decade, I was always intrigued with how a call, how an open read Mylar call would sound with a wood barrel. And uh, when we developed this call, I'm just extremely pleased with the tonal quality that you get out. I think you get just a richness and sweetness that you just can't quite get out of plastic with that call. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I, to this day, tell everybody that I know that the, the best external read elk caller I've ever heard in my life is you, and I stand by that. I, I, I believe there's not anybody on the planet that can blow an external call as good as you can. Uh, and, and quite honestly, with the advancements you've made with your diaphragm calling, I mean, it, it, it's mind-boggling. Um, but originally, uh, you know, you, you and I used to, you know, go chase elk and guide elk and, you know, hunt elk together and stuff. And, and I'm always, uh, can always remember in the back of my mind just how sweet you can make those external read calls sound. So the Matriarch call was built to your specific specifications with the soundboard and the Mylar uh, width and, and length and the whole, and all the way down to the wood barrel, correct? Yes, yes, exactly. Rocky and I kind of um, exchanged back and forth um, with him sending me various prototypes, and it took a few times, to be honest. Uh, kind of made me feel a little bit bad, but uh, I knew what I wanted, and I tell you what, when it, when it came back, uh, how it is ultimately now, right away from the first blow, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty opinionated on how I want an elk call to sound, and it was just absolute right on the money, so... Yeah, very very pleased with that. Um, uh, I think a, a, a mylar open reeded call is is just like a, a mouth read in that a guy's got to spend the time to really get comfortable and confident in it because I'm sure you would agree, Jay, that when you go to the woods, that's the real proving grounds. And if you blow it just a little bit in the off season, then you get out there in the woods and there's a bull out there bugling in front of you. It's a real humbling experience and it can uh, those those nerves can really take over, and if you you haven't spent the time on the call to practice, um, your nerves can definitely get in the way. Absolutely, and and Steve, talk a little bit about open read calling, and you know what I witness with with guys out in the woods when I hear guys not making quality sounds. One of the most the biggest things that I hear is a they're too loud, and b they're real harsh, and somewhere along the lines that you know we've been taught to, you know, and right. you know, just be obnoxious. Talk to me a little bit about if you agree with that as far as th that that perception, and 
in your mind when you're actually calling with your external call, what are you thinking? What you know? What are what are you trying to portray with that call? And what tone? What sound? What are you thinking with that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with everything you just said right there. Um, I believe that on an open read call that being subtle and sweet is the key and having that nice, subtle, sweet, elky tone is, is what you want. Um, I, I kind of equate it to this. If I go into a restaurant and there's somebody talking re- very loudly and kind of dominating the environment, it kind of sets me off a little bit. It, it's, it's, it's just a little distracting. And I, for me, it's kind of the same way in the elk woods. Maybe, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but um, when I go out there, I, I, I have the mindset of wanting to sweet talk to that bull and, and just, you know, whisper in his ear and give him that opportunity for romance, you know. Um, do, do you think that, and sorry if I interrupted you, do you think that peop, it's just been taught incorrectly or do you think the reason that people get real loud and real abrasive on the call is because it takes a little bit of finesse and you have to work with your call a little bit to get that a little bit more controlled and sweet sound. It, it, it's almost to me like that's just a way, since they're not very good with their call, that it's just easy for them to blow it loud and blow it abrasive. Yeah, exactly. It's easier that way um, if you don't spend a lot of time and learn real real breath control. And, and to be honest with you, it starts with emotion control. Like I was saying earlier, um, it's it's amazing how it can get to you when you get out there in the woods and there's a bull bugling in front of you and you get that kind of shortness of breath and get that ch- more choppy breath instead of the the deep breaths that you need to take to to make yourself relax. Um, I kind of I kind of go back to this when I was young and I played baseball and I would get up there to hit. Uh, of course, you, you know anybody that's played baseball would agree with me. It's it's a very nerve wracking thing. But what I would do is in my mind, I would place myself in my yard with my dad pitching to me, and I would literally say to myself, "Throw one, groove one right down the middle, Dad, and I'm going to rip it right back at, at you." You know what I mean? I'm going to knock your head yeah. off with the ball. I'm hit a line drive right back at you. And yeah. it sounds kind of unrelated to elk calling. But what I try to do is, is when I have a, a bull in front of me is put myself in that, that kind of comfortable spot. In, in other words, maybe, uh, you know, blowing the call in, in the study in my house. I kind of put, take my mind there or maybe in my truck where I'm just relaxed and blowing and just imagine myself being there. And it kind of takes me away from the intensity of the moment, if you know what I'm saying. I still obviously want to enjoy the moment because there's nothing like September out there in the woods but I think if you let your mind just go too crazy, because I think it's calling is so mental, um, you know, besides knowing the sound that you want to make, it, it, a lot of it is just mental and emotion control, um, you know, to get those, those sweeter, more subtle sounds that you, know, that, you know, that we're talking about that are the key to calling these bulls in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree with everything you're saying there. Um, do you have... Uh, an external nearby that you could give me a little uh, sequence of kind of how you just, uh, you know, blow that call and maybe talk a little bit about are you blowing just straight out of your, you know, with your with your mouth or are you, you know, sucking the air out of your diaphragm? Could you give me a little demonstration? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've got a matriarch here 
And okay. the, the first thing, like, like you said there, you want to think about getting the air from deep in your stomach. In other words, from a deep breath, just as if you were singing or blowing a musical instrument. That's what I would equate it to. So you're not wanting to just huff, huff the, the sound through your mouth. Um, because what that tends to do is, is give you those more harsh, loud, brash sounds. And it also tends to um, direct more saliva into the call, which is ultimately going to make it stick pretty quickly. Um, also, another thing is, is your lips. They're the real key. Um, I've always felt that the key to blowing these calls is to use your lips rather than your teeth on the call. So what I'm actually doing is I'm wrapping my lips around my teeth to start with to kind of to kind of pad the mylar reed with my lips rather rather than having my teeth directly on it. And then I'm just thinking about getting a nice controlled deep breath and then just, you know, just directing nice soft consistent air pressure over the reed as I blow it with my lips on it. And I'm not I'm not sliding the call in and out at all. Uh, to get the varying tones, I'm just varying my lip pressure. So a, a firmer lip pressure is going to give me a higher pitch, and softer lip pressure is going to give me a deeper pitch. It's going to sound something like this. Okay, some, just something like that. Um, and, and Steve, can I add something there? I've seen you do it so many times. When you put the external call up to your lips, I've watched you do it enough, and I actually incorporated it into my own calling. You actually kind of slowly and real precisely kind of set it in there and gently. You don't like just jam it in your mouth. You like bring your lips. Talk a little bit about your lip placement and, and about your lip pressure that you were talking about before. I mean, it's a real precise thing. I will, I've seen you do it a million times. Talk about yeah, that. Yeah, maybe I over-exaggerated a little bit, but you're right. I'm very methodical about it. I think maybe that's just my personality, but I, I kind of equate it to shooting a bow. I like to have, um, you know, I almost call them anchor points. Um, in other words, I'm thinking about Definitely wrapping my lips around my teeth at the proper pressure. Um, you know, a guy that's new to this is just going to have to experiment a little bit with what that right lip pressure is. And then secondarily, um, I think about sliding the call. This call has a castration ring on it. And I've got the ring, oh, I'd say about 80% in on the call toward the barrel. I'm going to get my lips right up close to that castration band where I can actually feel them just above my lip line there. I can feel that castration ring. And then I'm also going to touch the, the middle knuckle of my index finger on the end of my nose, kind of as my anchor point. And that just makes it consistent for me because I think that's the key with getting consistency when you're out there, when all everything's going on and the nerves are running high. Uh, you know, the more repeatable you can make it, the, the more consistent you're going to be. You also, and, and uh, the listeners can go on Steve's YouTube channel, uh, can get any one of Steve's DVDs and watch him doing this, but you also hold the call precisely and allow your three fingers, your middle finger, your ring finger, and your pinky finger almost to kind of stand up like you're making the OK symbol, right? Like, mm -hmm. like... You're touching your thumb and your forefinger together, and you kind of opened your, your hand. Exactly. 
because I think a mistake that can be made is you can tend to, uh, you know, not want to make a bad sound, and so you'll tend to choke the call down, and that's not going to sound as natural. So yes, I will circle the call with my, my index finger and my thumb, because I think it kind of lends itself to, to producing a nice nasal quality when you do that. But then you are correct. I do leave my other fingers uh, pretty much open. Occasionally, I'll, I'll bring, bring my end finger down to deflect the sound a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mostly call pretty, pretty open, I would say, with my hand to get that right, that tone that I'm looking for. That's great. And Steve, so you initially just blew just a couple real soft mews. Uh, give me something where, you know, you're, the bull is definitely interested, but maybe give me a little more emotion. Give me something that, that, that you're going to, that you're going to use out in the woods and maybe, you know, really try and entice that bull to uh, come check you out. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like, just like with turkey calling, you're taking every bull's temperature and the more he responds to it, if he sounds excited and emotional about his response, then I'll typically add just a little more emotion to my call, although I don't want to overdo it because I'm a real believer in continuing, continuing to do what he's liking. But, uh, you know, I might turn it up a little and make, make this type of sound. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, how frequently do I call? You know, typically when I'm calling to a bull, I'll, I'll, I'll call and then I'll wait for him to bugle. And then when he bugles, I'll give him an answer back. But generally, I'm blowing anywhere from maybe one to three calls back at him. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pound him and do five or ten calls and and, and just sound like I'm you know really loud mouthed and over, over aggressive out there. Um, but as long as he's liking what I'm giving him, that's what I'm gonna continue to do. Just keep pouring it pour it on him. And uh, you know, by the way, I I I, I never mix in an odd sound, uh, you know, like for instance, if he's coming into a cow call, if I'm blowing an open reed like I'm doing here, I'm not going to start glunking at him. Um, I'm not going to start bugling at him. I'm just going to give him what he's responding to and what he's coming to. Absolutely. I think that's a great tip. And I think, you know, being a turkey hunter, uh, I find myself wanting to cluck, purr, yelp, do the whole thing. And it's like, you know, Yes, you hear turkeys doing it sometimes, but a lot of times they're just kind of doing their thing. They're not running through the full gamut of the you know the calling contest out there in the woods. That's just not how they communicate. And I yes. think elk are the same way. And that you know you're you're basically just saying I'm available over here. I'd like you to come over here. What are you doing? Come over here instead of saying you know what are you doing? What do you want for dinner? How do, you know you don't you don't just run through the whole. <laughs> you know, question and, and he's going to think, yeah. I'm not going to, that's a, that's a mess waiting to happen over there. Yeah. The class um, 30 questions, you're exactly right about that. Um, you know, you just come home from the office and you get 40 questions before you even set your briefcase down. I mean, that's just not going to cut it. Uh, Steve, at the end of your call, I think what, what's different from your call than 99.9% .9 of everybody else out there is you're able to have that just nice, I don't even know what the word is, but there's like a transition where you're into your note and then you're kind of letting it get real nasally. How, how could you explain that to people as far as getting as nasally as possible 
I, I know it's hard to explain, but what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's I think it's obviously breath and air control uh, first off, and then and then I think secondarily it's just having a subtle shift in lip pressure, not too abrupt there at the end, because you're going uh, you know from that firmer lip pressure to a, to a lighter, more medium lip pressure there at the end, um, and, and there and there's definitely. If you watch yourself in the mirror or something when you blow a call, you'll see that your jaw, your jaw and chin are going to drop to get that to get that tone change. Um, but again, I think it's I think it's just being subtle about it rather than you know like you say jamming the call in your mouth, uh, you know making a harsh tone and then and then dropping your jaw real fast. I think that you know to say you know predator calling than elk calling where I sure. think being subtle and, and sweet is, is more important. Sure, and, and a lot of the DVDs and the instructional stuff out there have talked about really sliding the call as far as making a big move from the front of the call towards the castration band, and I learned from you on the external, and I mean, you're, it's all about lip pressure with you. It's not about That's moving an in, half an inch on the call uh, in reality, you're not, your lips are not moving back or forward in any direction. It's staying the same, but your lip pressure is looser and tighter, and, and you are not a proponent of sliding that call in and out. Yeah, not at all. I, th I think it makes it more repeatable if you're just varying lip pressure. And a, a, uh, a, something else that needs to be brought up is when we're out there elk hunting, we're not in the ideal environment. By that I mean we're not sitting in our office or in our truck where it's 70, 75 degrees and our body's warm, our lips and mouth are warm. No, it's it's more like we're out there. It's it can be you know anywhere from the low to high 30s on a typical typical September morning. Um, you know you've walked a mile, mile and a half to even get in position to blow your first call at these elk. And by that time, you're a little short of breath. Your lips are dry. Um, you, you know, you, you, it's just a lot different than being in a stationary 70-degree environment. So uh, with that said, I think the more repeatable you can make it by varying your lip pressure versus sliding the call in and out, you know, where you may have dry, gummed-up lips by the time you've walked a mile and a half or more chasing a herd, I, I definitely think it makes you more consistent and, and, and more sweet when you're just varying your lip pressure on the call. Yeah, absolutely. And then, Steve, uh, you, you created the Matriarch call, and then you, you have a new call, uh, external call, uh, I believe, don't you? Yes. Um, it's called the Trophy Wife. <laughs> I, uh, you know... I don't want to come across as, as gimmicky because I'm a big proponent in saying that a call that sounds elky will call elk in now. It will call elk in 20 years from now. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, but, but, you know, obviously for marketing, a catchy name is important. But I, I want to tell guys out there that um, you don't necessarily need to, when you're shopping for an elk call, be so mindful of what is the newest call on the market or what call has the coolest name. Uh, it's more so what does it sound like to you? Does it, does it sound elky to you? And when you take it out there and use it in the elk woods, uh, does it call elk in? And, and if it does, again, it's going to be a call that's going to, going to do that for decades for you. Um, it, but, but back to that, I, you know, I was tossing around about 20 different names and then just all of a sudden, 
trophy wife came to my mind, and I just thought, you know, every, every big old bull out there needs needs a trophy wife. So that, that I love the name. That name I love stuck that. right away. Um, but what I love the name and the call. By the way, uh, I was able to pick one up, and uh, I love it. It's uh, it's got a really good sound. Do you happen to have one of those that you could demonstrate for us? Yeah, and I think what separates it from other calls, and including the Matriarch, is that it's got a clear mylar reed, which is a little more sensitive uh, than just the white standard mylar reed. So right up, right there, it's got it's going to have a little different tonal quality. Um, I believe it's a little more, uh, it's got a little more voice, a little more nasal quality to it. Um, it does have a plastic barrel, but I think in combination with that clear mylar reed, it has just the right tone. And uh, here's what it sounds like. Yeah, and that, that, that's the trophy wife. Um, again, it's this, you're using the same technique that you would blow the matriarch with, um, but I think definitely that call in combination with the matriarch, so, you know, some days. Matter of fact, a couple of years ago when I first had the prototype of the trophy wife, I was out in the woods and uh, happened to be blowing the matriarch because it's worked for me for the last five years so well and continue, continually does. Um, but I did have one bull in particular that got just a little bit hesitant, and uh, I, I pulled out that trophy wife and started blowing it, and it, it fired him right up, and he he came right in on a string. So uh, that's awesome. Just, how, how how often will you blow the matriarch a little bit and get a, you know get some bulls responding, and then blow the tr trophy wife, just give them just a little bit different sound, or will you primarily just stick with one and and just run one? I'm. I'm more so, if I had to say, a one-call kind of guy, and I think, again, it kind of goes back to my methodical personality. I'll just get in a groove with the call. I think you would agree, you know, you get calls that you just feel really comfortable and confident in, uh, whether they be open read or, or a, a nice broke-in diaphragm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I lean more so to be, be more of a one-call type of guy, um, but I will... You know, based on the situation, if a, if a bull's not responding or I'm not getting responses, period, I'll try something different because, you know, definitely you don't want to keep trying what's not working. Absolutely. Um, both of those external calls are fantastic. I've used the Matriarch for ever since it came out, and uh, I also like the Primos Hyperlip Single and, and yes. use both of them, and I can't wait to try this uh, Trophy Wife out in the woods. It's got a real, just real nice sound. It, it, to me, it almost sounds a little bit like a younger cow, just like, you know, and I don't know that it's a huge difference, but it just seems, it seems kind of hot, if that may, you know, it's kind of... Yeah, it's kind of just got a little bit of pizzazz. I don't know if that's the right word, yeah. but you kind of know what I'm saying. It's yeah. just got a little bit of a pop to it, right? And um, I I really like the way it sounded. You can get these calls. My listeners uh, can get these calls right off your website, right? At uh, a Chapel uh, Guide Service. Yes, ChapelGuideService.com, and just go on to the elk call page. There's plenty of uh, you know links to click on there to get to that page. Um, I do sell these calls in package deals, so there's you know lots of money can be saved if you order more than one call. Um, I also offer free shipping because I don't think a guy should get penalized, um, you know, for making an online order. 
uh, and, and I even offer them in combination with videos or DVDs, I should say. So, yeah, sure. all in all, I think my website's a great, great place to get these calls. And uh, yeah, I, I, I appreciate all the business I get on the website. And you know, I'm always a proponent of saying you don't want to try out and learn the calls on the elk. In other words, you don't want to order the call September 1st <laughs> because yeah. you're going to be learning and trying it out on the elk. If if you make it a habit of blowing that call. You know, when I first started out, I'd say I blew an elk call probably 300 days out of the year. And I don't mean you had to blow it an hour, but, you know, maybe five or ten minutes a day. Uh, it just keeps it fresh. That, to me, is where you can experiment and learn new and different sounds that, you know, you, you never thought you could produce before. Um, so, yeah, I say all that to say this, the, the, the earlier you, you uh, get your calls, regardless of if they're mine or primos or whoever's calls you happen to use and, and practice on them, you know, yearly instead of just very seasonally, the better off you're going to be calling elk in. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've actually, my, my buddy Giannis from, uh, uh, Colorado, now Montana. Um, I turned him on years ago to the, your matriarch call. And I mean, he just loves that, that call and he's very good with it. Ironically, Steve, he actually blows it upside down. Uh, I know you know some other people that blow it upside down, but uh, yes. uh, it just makes some really nice, sweet sounds. And uh, your DVDs, um, you know, you can listen to your, you calling on the DVDs as well as your YouTube channel. You have a bunch of demonstrations of the call, and I just urge any of the listeners that haven't heard Steve call a lot uh, – if you want to learn how to elk call or if you want to hone your elk calling skills, uh, that is the place to go. He is the guy to listen to. He will sit here and be humble with you. But the reality is, if you want to get better, uh, get some of Steve's calls and listen and watch what he's doing. Um, he's He is as good as they get. And I, I've always told Steve if... If he would ever enter the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation calling contest, he would win hands down, and I'm a firm believer in that. But that's not his gig, and and uh, uh, he he's uh, that I know, and Steve's the best elk caller there is out there. So um, check him out on his YouTube. That's is it is it Steve Chapel or is it? Um, Chapel Hunt. What is the YouTube channel? Yeah, Steve? I originally set it up as just Steve Chapel. So yeah, it's just Steve Chapel on there. Um, I'm not sure. I don't believe that I have a link off of my website, but I do have. I always have a featured video on my website on the homepage where people can see that. And yes, I agree with you. That's the best place to actually learn to blow the calls uh, from a starting point is to watch those YouTube videos that are that are actually on my website on the Elk Call page. And then um, as far as, you know, how often to blow them, um, just how we use them when we're actually out there in the field is, is to actually um, watch that on those hunting DVDs, on those Extreme Bulls DVDs. I'll, I'll tell you this, Jay, um, I, I don't know about you, but I think I learned the, ver the most about elk hunting by watching videos back in the day, you know those VHS oh, videos yeah. that that Will Primos put out and, and Wayne Carlton Absolutely. put out. Because I feel like if you watch them as a student of the game and not just an observer, if you actually say, "Okay, the bull just bugled," wh what is the hunter going to do in response to that? 
What call does, did he blow? How many times did he blow it? How loudly did he blow it? Or how softly did he blow it? Um, to be honest with you, I think you can learn more by watching a hunting video than you can a, 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 an instructional video per se, because th those in my mind, obviously, just by design, are a little more canned, if you will. Um, yeah. Whereas, well, you know, exactly. I mean, sorry to cut you off, but I okay. mean, I know you well enough to know that your your hunting elk DVDs, your Extreme Bulls series. I mean, you can actually hear you in the background calling, and it's not edited. It's right. what it is. So you get right. to hear the real thing. I can't honestly speak for the other companies. I think there's some editing going on. But I, I, I know how you call, and I've listened to your DVDs. I've, I know how you work, Bulls. And it's what you hear is what you get. So, um, you know, it, it, you're absolutely right. You can learn Steve's sequencing by just listening to his uh, Extreme Bulls series and listening to how he does it. Um, Steve, I want to transition a little bit into your diaphragms. Okay. Uh, you know, having said that, you know, you can blow an external as good as anybody I know. Uh, when I when I first met you in for a few years, you were good with a diaphragm, but there was a point in time when you when you absolutely raised your game to a completely different level. Uh, and I know you practiced. Uh, uh, Steve is a farmer by trade and and spends a lot of time on a tractor. And I know <laughs> I would call you a lot, and you would say yeah, listen to this, and I'd just be blown away on the phone. Let's dive into your signature series uh, mouth diaphragms, mouth reads, and maybe walk me through the progression of that. Um, I r will remember back in the day, and again, you can correct me if my, you know, it seems like the older I get, the more that uh, stories are, you know, get made up in my head, <laughs> but seems like we had just piles of, of elk calls, and one day... I think you called me up and said, hey, listen to this. And I said, what the heck did you do? And you had just trimmed, you had just gotten the idea to actually trim the double reed latex and trim a diagonal, cut, diagonal or a, a diamond cut in it. And talk to me a little bit about tinkering with that kind of stuff and how it led you into your ser signature series elk calls. You know what, Jay? Um, that was a true story, and I'd forgotten about that. You're, you're exactly right. I'd uh, gotten a prototype call from from Will Primos, which is was a straight uh, double read call, and it was just for me anyway. It was just a little hard to blow. It was a pallet plate call, but it, even with that double read, it it just required quite a bit of air pressure. So what I did, and I don't even know really why I did this, but I just took a little pair of surgical scissors and I just cut. Uh, you know, kind of a V in that outside reed of the two, that out, uh, outside latex reed, and popped it in back in my mouth, and it was amazing how much easier it was to blow, and the tonal quality was was just excellent. Um, so yeah, I, I I called you up, was real excited about it. I think it was in the late '90s, maybe, um, yeah. and ended up uh, that in ultimately ended up being, I believe, the hyperplate that that yeah. most produces. Um, now with my my signature series calls, that is actually uh, the closer would be the the closest replication of that call that I originally worked with there. Um, I, I think that closer call that I have now is 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 excellent for bugling because it's very durable because it has the strength of being a, a double read call, so you've got that durability. 
but then it's also got sensitivity because uh, trimming that second reed just just uh, uh, tends to make it easier to blow and gives it just the right tonal quality. So I think it's the best of both worlds as, as far as a, a, a bugling and a cow calling reed, kind of kind of a utility call, I should say. Absolutely. And Steve, in your signature series mouth uh, calls, I believe you have three different uh, mouth calls. Uh, can you run through it? Uh, I don't know if you have them on hand, but could you maybe demonstrate the three of them and maybe talk talk about the differences? Sure. Um, the first one that I'll start with is uh, is the estrus excited read. Um, again, you know, I don't want guys to get hung up on the name of these calls. You know, obviously they have to have a, a name for the packaging and such. But the main differences in them is going to be latex latex thickness, latex stretch and whether it's a single or a double, and then also the, the frame width. So without getting too technical on it, um, this would be that estrus excited, which is the orange reed. I, I prefer it overall for, for doing my cow calling uh, because it's very sensitive, but it also produces just a nice, full, three-dimensional elky tone is what I really like about it. Um, this is what it would sound like just doing what I would refer to as just a just a standard nasally cow call. I want to demonstrate for you an elk call that uh, Steve has basically created, and that is the Trophy Wife elk call. It's a fantastic external read call, and here's how it sounds, and then we'll jump right into the episode. the orange reed. I, I prefer it overall for, for doing my cow calling uh, because it's very sensitive, but it also produces just a nice, full, three-dimensional elky tone is what I really like about it. Um, this is what it would sound like just doing what I would refer to as just a, just a standard nasally cow call. Just, just something like that. Yeah, very sensitive, uh, very three-dimensional. Um, I don't know if that if it translates over over the phone or not, but uh, yeah, you take it out in the woods, it's got a very three-dimensional quality to it. Yeah, very, very realistic. And obviously, over the recorder, it's not going to sound as good. But if you if you do go on Steve's website, you can hear, uh, uh, you know. It's probably going to sound better. I can I can tell you in person it is spot on, and there's nothing there. In my opinion, there's nobody else that can blow a call like Steve. And so um, that is the Estrus Excited. That's the orange reed. I believe the plate on that, Steve. You can correct me. Is maybe not as it's either more angled or le it's the least angled out of all of them. Is that correct? You know, Jay, they actually all have the same uh, okay. angle on the plate. It's more so in the in the reeds that you get okay. the tones. Um, that's also the, the reed that I use to make my you know more aggressive, high pitched cow calls. 
and that that sound that, that you know that I want to hear that sound. That's uh, that's uh, I wasn't gonna for sure forget that one. I want to when I say that you went by being a great caller or let's say a very good caller. All of a sudden, you call me on the phone and say, "Listen to this," and I was floored. I mean. I've done the buzz and stuff for a long time, and but this, in my mind, took elk calling to a whole nother level. Can you talk a little bit about it and then give me some demonstration? Yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to just being blessed with the opportunity to be around elk every year and experience the rut. And, you know, I not only get to guide in Arizona for, for, for a month there during the rut, but then... Then I'm able to go to Colorado where my dad has private land and we guide there year in and year out and we've got a big herd there and they're the most vocal elk that I've ever been around. And I started hearing this sound that that I wouldn't have known that elk even make had they not been right in front of me. And I, I've said it over the years, anybody that's you know been to my seminar or whatnot, I, I equate it to it sounds kind of like a monkey, just an agitated monkey in a cage screaming is what it sounds like to me. Um, and then I believe there was a point where you got a cow on video doing this sound. And then uh, in 2007, after hearing this sound for probably a decade, I was finally in Arizona in unit 3C and had a cow come right up to me, probably eight, 10 yards away, uh, making this sound. And it, it, yeah, it's just incredible how, number one, how aggressive it is, um, how, how raspy it is, and, and then more importantly, how the bulls respond to it. So I went about trying to duplicate the sound and, and again, kind of going back to my roots and, you know, growing up on the farm and spending a lot of time on the tractor, I, I just started messing with varying tongue pressure, you know, using my vocal cords, vibrating my lips, various things, and just ultimately, just through trial, trial and error, not because I'm a natural at calling, but just spending a lot of time on it, um, was able to come up with, you know, what I think we, re, we refer to this as the estrus scream. Um, and I'll blow that, and then I'll also blow just what I refer to as high-pitched, excited cow calls. And what I found uh, most recently is, is if I kind of mix those two together, that seems to be the best combination. Um, and it, Jay, it kind of flies in the face of what we were talking about earlier and how subtle and, and, and sexy I want to be when I'm blowing an open read call. Um, when I blow this call, by contrast, I want to be that loud mouth <laughs> that yeah. that wants attention right now because I I've, the cows that I've seen making this sound it's a, it's a desperate sound it's it's insistent they they want they they need some attention right now they're in heat uh, and they're only in heat for a certain amount of time so so things need to happen and, and I believe that's why they're aggressive about it so so anyway. Um, this is how I get that sound. I'm, I'm, I'm blowing the call as if I'm just making a cow call, but I'm, I'm using my vocal cords to get that raspiness, and it sounds like this. You can also vibrate your lips, and it gives it this sort of sound.
Okay, and then also, like I said just a minute ago, you can also implement high-pitched cow calls, and it, also, it just tends to turn up the emotion in what you're putting out there to the bulls, and it's going to sound like this. That's the hardest. And, and would you blow it? Would you blow it just that many times? Is, would you fire off that? That that's the crazy thing. Yes, Jay. In contrast <laughs> to how I blow on a normal sequence, it just totally flies in the face of how I usually call. And that's the hardest thing with my personality is is not wanting to be loud and intrusive out there in the woods. Um, sometimes it takes somebody being with me to give me some encouragement. encouragement. Matter of fact, my second cousin, Gary Stanley, is very good at that. <laughs> He'll tell me, He'll be like, cue the wild man. <laughs> yeah, blow that call. Get her out and wind her up, you know. And, and, yeah. and sometimes that's what it takes because I'm just not, my mindset is not there all the time. Um, but yes, when I do finally pull that call out and start blowing it, I, I, I'm going to blow it frequently. I'm going to blow it loudly. Um, I'm just trolling along, putting the vibe of love out there, I guess would be the way to describe it. And it's amazing to me. Sometimes even in the evenings, you, you know, being an elk hunter yourself, um, how the evening hunt can be so much different than the morning hunt. You can be in an area where the bulls are absolutely tearing it up in the mornings. You can go back in the evenings and it can be completely dead. Uh, and there's been times where... You know, I'll try my usual standby calls, my, you know, nasally sweet cow calling. Nothing will happen. And I'll kind of just, out of lack of anything else to try, pull that call out and, and, and start walking and blowing, just trolling with it, I guess you could say. And, and it is amazing. It'll go from total silence in the woods to one bull chiming off at it. And you start, I just start walking toward the bull, blowing that call persistently and then next thing you know another bull chimes in and then another bull and there's been many many times when you know two or three bulls will converge upon you and you're dropping down getting set up in a in a big frantic hurry because you know two or three bulls are bearing down on you it's just amazing how dramatic it can be yeah i i i've seen you do it and i've seen you do it on your dvds and um I've heard that sound, and I know that when I hear that sound, usually you hear bulls fighting, you hear you know them crashing trees, you hear all sorts of stuff, and it's just you're not going to use that all the time, you know, right. maybe not when, when the rut's not even going yet, but I, I you know if, if it's any time at all where they're getting after it and getting with it in September, uh, you know, I think that call could be extremely deadly. I yes. think one of the things to point out there is. A lot of people can do that kind of scream with their lips, but to me, that vocal cord, and if you just do it one more time for me, where you're doing just your normal high-pitched kind of cow call, but then you're letting your vocal cords vibrate, and then going, you know, you're keeping that high pitch, to me, of all the sounds, that is the most authentic cow calling that you could ever ever want to mimic right there can you give me just you know seven or eight more just of that real 
intense, sweet vocal cord uh, and high pitch yeah. like you were doing. It, I agree, Jay. And it, it, again, it goes back to emotion control and breath control because when I first popped that call in a couple minutes ago to do it, I was just a little tuned up emotionally and it's very hard to do if you have that shortness of breath. So again, I want, I want to stress to guys that the, the, the key is to get that deep breathing and just get yourself relaxed before you try to make this call. Uh, so let's see if I can pull it off here. <laughs> and plus not having talked for an hour. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so here goes. Okay, <laughs> that's that's just world class right there, my man. That's that's unbelievable. Uh, every elk hunter out there, if you're listening, if you're not learning how to make that sound, you are falling behind, and uh, it is very difficult to do. Uh, but if you watch Steve, he's got his. Uh, you know, you can watch actually watch his lips and watch how he's doing it on his website different links uh you can go on his youtube and it's a phenomenal sound um steve that's the excited estrus calls uh, those are fantastic run through the other ones uh uh and uh maybe give me a bugle or two um let me hear how the challenge i believe it's the challenge call bugles okay yeah, absolutely. Um, you had to remind me to, to bugle because <laughs> I am I'm all more about romance out there in the woods than I am about you know going out there with a fighter's mentality. But I will say this: guys who bugle accurately, and by that I mean if they hit that high, ringy, strong note. Uh, you know, a guy in particular that you and I both know, a good friend of ours, Corey Jacobson. He calls bulls in consistently with bugling, and I believe again, it's tonal quality is the key. Um, so when I'm bugling, again, that's what I'm looking to do is hit that high, ringy tone that bulls make when I'm just doing a, a regular bugle, and then I'll contrast that with a lip ball, which I'll demonstrate that after I do this, this high, ringy bugle. Okay, um, that's a high, uh, you know, like a contact-type bugle. That would be a sound that I would make just to solicit for, for a bugle. Maybe I go out there in the morning that the elk aren't talking on their own or in the afternoon they're not bugling. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a sound like that. And I, I really try to ring my own ears when I blow that call. And I believe that's when you get the best re response out of it. Now, an another sound that I'll make, which I just said referred to as the lip ball, uh, I've noticed that the more mature bulls will make this sound. I don't, I don't hear this, the, you know, the little two, two and a half year old bulls making this sound. Um, and the way I'm getting that is I'm blowing through the, through the call just like I would as if I was cow calling, but with more tongue pressure. And then I'm vibrating my lips. So again, it would be similar to making that extra scream with your lips, um, but I'm using a little tighter lip pressure to make, make the sound. It sounds like this.
And I've, I've noticed that sometimes when bulls won't answer just that high-pitched sound, they'll answer that lip ball because, you know, they, they, they view you more as a threat to them and their cows when you're out there making that more dominant sound. Um, you know, and then another sound that, that can be made, which, you know, also just shows more emotion, um, would, be, would be chuckling, you know, adding that on to the end of the call, whether it be a, a, a lip ball or a, or, or a bugle, you could add a chuckle at the end. Um, I kind of think chuckling is just not necessarily a call that a guy needs to make at all uh, to call a lot of elk in. In fact, I think you could go out there for the rest of your life and never chuckle once and, and call a ton of bulls in. But it's just another thing to add to your arsenal out there. Um, the key to it is that it's a two-part sound. Uh, you know, the first part, just by accident, I kind of relate it to uh, uh, the bark of an elk. So it's a it's a real forceful out breath as you're blowing across the reed. So so the first part of it's like this. Okay, and you don't want to go go around making that sound obviously because you're going to scare a lot of elk away doing that. But then the second part, you're breathing air back in, and you actually it sounds crazy, but you don't have your tongue on the latex of the reed on the second part of the call. It's only on the first part of the call that you're putting pressure on the latex. So when you put it together, uh, I know it's a little hard just over the phone to, to, to kind of demonstrate this technique, but this is what it sounds like when you put the two parts together. Just something like that is how that's going to sound. And, and, and again, that call takes a lot of practice. Um, yeah, I was going to say, that's ridiculous. Yeah, just, yeah, it takes a lot, <laughs> a lot of breath control. To be honest with you, Jay, um, I'm not really, really sweet on my calls right now because it's March. Um, I, yeah. I, sh I should be practicing more. You know, cause yeah, I agree. You need more practice. Yeah, I agree. You, you need more practice. <laughs> no, but, you, you, uh... but seriously, um, it does take, it, it actually takes some cardiovascular conditioning to blow that chuckle without getting totally out of breath. And now that I blew that, I'm a little out of breath. I need to go out and go for a hike after we get. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we're working out here on a Sunday afternoon, uh, uh, blowing out calls. Um, yeah, it's, uh, Steve, it's fantastic to hear you blow all those different calls. Um, I've seen you progress as an elk caller, and it's it's been an unbelievable transformation uh, to where you've come now, truly an authority on elk calling, and I uh, really appreciate you demonstrating the calls. And I, I want to um, do another podcast with you at a later date, and we'll get into maybe some um, different scenario-type stuff uh, but for today, I want to go into, in, in kind of conclusion here, I want to talk a little bit about your uh, chapel guide service, uh, El, uh, Premier Elk Outfitter in Arizona, um, and also your, uh, I have your Arizona Application Strategies Mastering the Draw DVD, which I watched last night, and, and I just thought it was phenomenal. I actually learned some things about the draw you know, having been a resident for, you know, for, for many, many years here, I thought I kind of knew everything, but you really walk through all the different phases of the draw. How has the feedback been on your Mastering the Draw Arizona Application Elk Strategies been? Um, well, I'll say this. The guys who have watched it, the feedback has been, you know, very good, very positive. 
Um, I think it's a DVD that a, that a person might need to watch two or three times just to just to catch everything because there's a lot of material that's covered there. Um, you know, every state the, the draw has little subtle differences. Uh, you know, our draw in Arizona is is unlike any other states. But but like you say, I do break it down. I go over each phase of the draw, and I I I, I go over specific examples. Uh, reports that are off the Game and Fish website, and I think the best thing that a, that a person can learn from it is they can learn not only about the different phases of the draw, but they can learn how to read those Game and Fish reports, which is very important when you go to strategize for you know what hunt you're going to apply for. Because if you have you know X amount of bonus points, maybe maybe say you have 15 bonus points. And, and, and you're of the opinion that you can maybe say maybe draw the Unit 9 Archery Hunt. Uh, well, if you go on the Game and Fish website and look at the 20% bonus point pass report, it will tell you otherwise. So, you know, again, I think the biggest thing that people can get from that DVD is they actually learn how to read these reports and then uh, go about applying intelligently with a, with a good strategy because... Um, you know, our draw is really all about your first and second choice and knowing what to put first and what to put second is huge. Um, I, I'm just, I, I'm amazed when I when I talk to folks out there, uh, it seems like I would say easily nine out of ten people don't have a real grasp for how the draw works. And it not, it's not because they're not smart people, it's just because we have busy lives, we have a lot of other things that take precedence over understanding the draw, and I totally get that. Um, you know, it's just what I do for a living, so I figured I better understand how the draw works if I'm going to be giving people advice over the phone. So, you know, I just spent a lot of time studying and reading about it, um, you know, to be able to, 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 to produce that DVD. And um, Well, your examples that you give in the DVD by going through the actual Game & Fish booklet is amazing. And, you know, um, where can people uh, order this application strategies uh, DVD, Steve? Yeah, it's at the top of the the DVD page on my website. So if you just go on to chapelguideservice.com and uh, click on the Elk Calls and DVDs page, and when you're on the DVD page, it's on the very top. Uh, the video is $19.95 with free shipping, and I also offer it in in, uh, in package deals with the calls. So you can get the DVD and save a lot of money on the calls by making a single purchase. Great. And, you know, one of the interesting things about this is, you know, it's not necessarily elk. You can take a lot of what's in this into the deer, into the sheep, into a bunch of the other animals, uh, correct? Right. Yeah, because the concepts apply across the board. Uh, I, I believe the sheep draw is just a little different. Jay, you would probably know yeah. more about that because yeah. you're, you're a sheep guru. Um, you know, I'm really just an elk freak, to be honest. Um, but yeah, definitely that DVD. If you're applying for for elk hunts, for deer hunts, antelope, antelope exactly, yeah. it, it's going to apply. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I misspoke. The sheep is actually different. Um, and then Steve Chapel Guide Service. Um, tell me which units you guide in uh, in Arizona, and um, you have some fantastic guides. Give me a little um, little background on Chapel Guide Service and and the the units. I don't know if you're statewide or if you prefer certain units or what your status is there. Right, right. Um, you know, we have guided in most of the elk units. Um, 
you know, not not necessarily always by choice, but sometimes we'll get you know clients that that draw units that we we don't guide a bunch in. But um, to be specific, most of the time we're guiding in in nine, ten, one. 3A and 3C, I would say those are our top four units that we've guided the most in over the past couple of decades. Um, but, you know, we've also guided in 8, uh, 7 West, 6A, 27, 6B, uh, 5B North and South. Um, but, but again, it kind of comes back to, I believe, that the reason why we guide more in those four units that I mentioned first, 9, 10, 1, and 3C, is because of the fact that it takes people longer on the average to draw those units so there's a lot more at stake when a, when a non-resident draws those tags they've been waiting you know anywhere from 12 to 17 18 years if it's an archery hunt and longer than that if it's a rifle hunt and so those people who have waited that long are more apt to book and I think that's the reason why we guide more hunters in in those four units and yeah and uh, and, and quite honestly uh, you know you like and your guides, you guys like to be in some of the more premier units as well, I would think, also. Sure, yeah, because just like you, I'm sure you would agree, Jay, we've only got two weeks for the actual archery hunt every year. It's the same for you or I as, as, a, as a hunter. So, um, you know, I, I guess this might sound a little bit selfish, but obviously, you know, you or I, we, we're going to want to be in a unit like 9 or a unit like 23, where there's typically more 350 and better bulls, where there's you you know generally a higher bull to cow ratio because of how the unit is managed by the game and fish. It just makes for better calling because you have a higher bull to cow ratio. There's more competition amongst the bulls, so when they hear a call, they're they're more apt to come to it. Um, so so yeah, obviously we're more inclined to want to be in those those more premier units. Uh, just because of the of the shortness of time, and then you know the early rifle hunt, it's only a one week hunt. So really, sure. b besides being there in the unit prior to the hunt starting, the actual hunting with the archery and the early rifle hunt's only a three week time frame out of the year. And uh, you know, God knows how we make it the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's all about our yeah, it's depression <laughs> from there on out. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> But you do do late hunts as well as you got you do some deer hunts and antelope and and you're a full full uh, service uh, guide service correct? Yeah, yeah. We offer you know fully outfitted hunts with camp and all meals provided if a guide needs that. And then also a very popular option, especially with residents that we hunt with, would be a guided only hunt where they supply their own camp and their own meals and save quite a bit of money by doing that. And we just basically take them out and guide guide them. The hunting aspect of the fully outfitted or the guided only is exactly the same. It's just whether or not we provide the camp and the meals. Uh, and, and yes, we, we also do uh, late hunts, which take place there in late November, early December. Uh, they're, they're, I won't kid, they're a much more challenging hunt. Uh, the bulls are often rem more remote areas. Uh, they're harder to find. Uh, you know, it, it, the name of the game there, instead of, instead of calling, is glassing. Um, but I was going to say, very, they're not streaming their guts out and giving their position away, are they? <laughs> yeah, exactly, saying, here, here I am, here I am. Uh, no, it's more a game of being patient, being a, a methodical glasser, you know, finding a bull and then making a game plan. And I will say this, there's, there's been bulls that, that I've taken on late hunts with hunters that just the feeling of accomplishment is just 
astounding when you overcome all the odds and, and take a bull on a late hunt. And I will say some of the some of the pack outs can be pretty interesting as well. I'm sure you would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I I'm going to go ahead and go on the record and say I'm pretty much retired doing any late elk hunts. <laughs> good decision. That's a good yeah. decision, Jay. And I, you know, I will say I'd be very remiss if I didn't give you know a lot, if not most, of the credit to my guides. I, I have some just absolutely outstanding guides, and you know, over the years I've been very fortunate and blessed to to be introduced to some just outstanding people. Um, you know, who are passionate about elk number one, and then then also just quality people because I mean let's face it when you when you have a guy hunting with you for a week or two weeks you're not only hunting together but 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 you're out there and you're visiting you're conversing um, you know I think having a quality connection there is also very important you know aspect of the hunt not not just the hunting part of it uh, you know so I've been been very fortunate to you know to have guides that not only excel in you know tagging of big elk and, and being passionate and driven about elk hunting, but also just having a, a lot of people skills, a lot of character, a lot of integrity. You know, um, you know, if we say we're going to go out and leave at three or three thirty, by golly, we're ready to leave at at three o'clock. Um, you know, yeah. just just doing what you say you're going to do and following through on it. And, and I've just been. You know, really, really blessed by God to have some outstanding guides as part of my team. Absolutely, Steve. It's been awesome uh, spending some time here with you. And um, I, I'd like to finish on, on one note. Uh, you mentioned you've been blessed by God. I know you're a man of faith, uh, as, as am I. I just want to ask you a question about what does your faith uh, mean to you and... Um, you know, can you elaborate a little bit on on the blessings and such that uh, that we've all gotten, but that you've gotten specifically? Oh, great question, Jay. You know, without making it too simplistic, I you know everything to me is is from God. Um, I I would be nowhere without God. Um, I I I feel like I lean on Him daily for guidance and wisdom. And because I, as as a human in in, in my own flesh, I, I, I'm just very weak and fragile. Uh, but when I know I have God on my side, He loves me. He's for me. Uh, you know, He wants to help me in my decisions and, and guide and direct me. And, and when I lean on that, but but most importantly is is knowing that um, despite my imperfections, despite my my sin. Um, you know, none of us are none of us are perfect. Um, j- just knowing that my sins are forgiven, that you know Jesus Christ dying on the cross, paying the penalty for my sins. You know, knowing that that that's what I'm relying on to get me to heaven and nothing else. There's just a, a sweet peace that that brings to a person, and then everything else in life falls in line. And I, and, and to be honest, I can't imagine living life without that peace. And without that relationship with God through that that I get through Jesus Christ, it's it's everything to me. Absolutely, absolutely, couldn't have said it better myself. And um, just an awesome uh, hour here with you, Bud. Uh, I know 
Uh, hopefully, maybe during the summer we can have another one and maybe get into more situational, uh, hand-to-hand, uh, you know, tactical type stuff with the calling. Maybe, maybe get an update with you, see how your trail cameras are doing. Uh, you know, an elk update or such. Um, I wish you the best in the draws and um, uh, tell Barb and the kids hello. Tell your dad hello for me. And uh, it's been great having you. And uh, just uh, uh, cherish you as a friend. And uh, just uh, really enjoyed the years I've gotten to spend with you and admired your work. And, uh, you know, just a high class quality individual and a phenomenal elk caller and uh, elk guide, and just thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you, Jay. The pleasure's mine. It's been a great 20 years that, that I've known you, and uh, please pass along my hello to Gene, and, and uh, hope you guys are doing great. And uh, I hope we can both get through this EHD, I call it, Elk Hunter's Depression, for the next six months <laughs> and make it to September. And uh, everything will be good, and I look forward to maybe, maybe seeing you out there in the elk woods. That sounds great. Uh, I only know a couple ways to handle that EHD, and that's uh, lots of turkey hunting and lots of fishing. And then at that point, I can block most of it out of my mind, except for those uh, wee hours in the morning. But, uh, yep, it will be soon here. We'll be uh, hearing those elk bugle, and I look forward to it and look forward to seeing you again, buddy. Okay, so take care. Thanks, Jay. You do the same. And uh, I I do want to say the best way for people to look you up is chapelguideservice.com. That's the best way to contact you for for all the calls, for the guide service, for everything, correct? Yes, absolutely. We also have a Facebook page, with, which is Chapel Guide Service, but you can get to that from the website. So, yes, the website is the best. Okay, sounds good, buddy. Take care, and I'll catch you later. Thanks, Jay. God bless. All right, you too.